All right, so friends, we're continuing on a series right now that we're calling Get Used to Different. And in this series, we're going through a mini-series called The Chosen, uh, which is, it's a mini-series about Jesus as we see Jesus through the eyes of his first followers. And um, if you haven't started watching this yet, um, it's not too late. You can still uh, begin watching it whenever you would like. It's streamable in a variety of ways. Um, and we are going to dig into episode four this week. And if you weren't able to watch it, we'll, we'll fill in enough details without giving away everything. Um, it's, it's mostly from the Bible, though, so it's hard to give away everything. Every week, there's a beatitude that we are um, using that, that lines up with an episode. And the beatitude for this week that we're going to talk about today is this. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. I hope you brought your appetite with you today because we're going to talk about being hungry and finding something to fill that hunger. Uh, before we dig into this scripture more, uh, would you pray with me? Lord, we love you. We're thankful to be in your presence, to worship you with our church family. And we ask that you would come and teach us right now, Lord. Let our hearts and our minds be teachable, that as we hear your word and uh, try to understand it and to let it uh, dig into our lives that you'd show us how you're calling us to follow you, Jesus, um, even in the ways that that is different than what we might expect. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're talking about hunger, and hunger is something that is a big part of our lives, not just because we live in a foodie city like Austin, but because our hunger uh, actually controls how we live our lives more than we realize. Have it, has anyone ever been to a Brazilian steakhouse? Yeah, yeah, we got a few people. So uh, a few years ago, my wife Tracy and I were having an anniversary. We decided let's do something really fun for an anniversary date. We've always wanted to go to one of those Brazilian steakhouses. Um, we had heard from some friends that had gone there recently, and we thought let's, we need to do that for our anniversary. So we made plans to go, and I was so excited because I had heard about how good the food was, but I also... You know, I have a little bit of a competitive streak, and I, I think I was partly excited because I was convinced that I could probably eat more than the average person that went to one of those places, <laughs> right? So, so I went in thinking, I'm going to make this worth it, and then I don't, I don't know if you know this about me, but I'm, I'm a little cheap. You could call it thrifty, but really, I just, I'm kind of cheap. I don't like spending money when I don't need to, and um, so... A meal at a place like that costs more than what we would have normally paid uh, to go out to eat or even for a date. And so in the back of my head, I had this fear of, what if we spend all this money and it's not worth it? I need to make sure I make this worth it. You guys know what I'm talking about. So, so we got there, and we sit down at the table and order a drink. And, um, and I've talked to some friends ahead of time, and they said the salad bar is where they get you. Because if you fill up on the salad bar, that's really not worth what you're paying for, but then you can't eat as much meat. So we skip the salad bar. We go straight for asking the people carrying around big skewers of meat to come to our table and slice some off and put it on our plates. And we tried, you know, we tried one of the meats. It was great. We tried another one. You know, we, we're trying as, ma as many of the different uh, amazing Brazilian uh, roasted meats that they have. And, and it's just, it's all so good. So we, we have a nice dinner. Tracy gets to a point where she says, I think I've had enough. I, I, I said, you know, I, I probably have had enough, but I think I can eat more. So I kept going. 
And, uh, you know, the servers come by, and I just don't turn them down. I'm like, I think they save the best till the last, because that's probably the most expensive cut of meat. So I'm like, yeah, 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 we want some of that right here. Keep eating, keep eating, keep eating. And I finally get to a place where I, even if I wanted to, I just couldn't. I'm done. Like, I'm like, okay, I need to stop, because I'm starting to get uncomfortable. So we, we pay for our tab, and we, we walk out of the restaurant. And the plan after that is to go finish a nice date. We had a babysitter, um, and we were going to go spend a night in the town, basically walking around downtown on a nice, not-too-hot summer evening, as hard as that is to imagine right now. Um, we were going to maybe go walk all the way to, like, the Congress Bridge and go walk over Lady Bird Lake, and it was going to be so nice, such a good time together. We get, like, a, a block out of the restaurant, and I have to sit down at a bench because I'm hurting so bad. <laughs> I'm like, Tracy, can we, can we just stop for a second? And Tracy's like, yeah, sure. She's very, very kind about it. Um, and while we stop, she's like trying to make conversation with me. Like, you know, it's probably one of those like, what did you think of the last year of our marriage? Like, we always have those kind of conversations, and they're good. And I think I waved her off. Like, I, I'm can't, I can't think right now. I just, it hurts too bad. And uh, so we get up, we try to walk another block, I have to sit down again, and after one more try, we just, we just give up and go home. <laughs> My hunger got the better of me, and I was not very satisfied, right? Well, I hope you can see this is more than just a, an appetite for food that got the better of me there, Right? Uh, of course, I wanted good food. Who's going to turn down really good Brazilian steakhouse cuisine? But what, what really got me was a couple other things. A couple of other hungers that I had. I had, a, I had a hunger to win. I wanted to eat more than most of the people around me. I think I did, by the way, judging by how many, how many people did not eat as much as me. Uh, most of the people in the restaurant, I think. Um, so I, I might have filled that hunger by winning or thinking I won. That didn't, that didn't satisfy me so well in the end. And then I had another hunger. It was a hunger to uh, protect my money and my financial security, to make sure if we're going to pay for this kind of meal, gosh darn it, we're going to make it worthwhile. And that also, I probably filled that hunger. Oh, it did not ultimately satisfy. See, I think as people in the Western world post-enlightenment, we probably think that we are people primarily driven by our thoughts and our beliefs. But really, I think we are driven most by our hunger. Our longings and desires probably influence more of the decisions we make than we realize. And this is true on a surface level, like being hungry for a good dinner, or, you know, yesterday was Saturday. It's, we have a hunger for donuts in my house on Saturday morning, so we went to the donut shop whenever it woke up, and that was great. But there are deeper hungers that we all orient our lives around. The hunger to have comfort, right? The longing to be liked, to have a place to belong, to be loved. We have a longing for security. We want to know that we're going to be safe no matter what happens. A longing for success, maybe because we want to find our purpose in what we can achieve. Maybe we have a longing for justice because we are so dissettled with some things that are not right in the world. We want that to be made right. And the thing about living in the world we live in, in the, in the world today, is the world is going to give you infinite number of quick fixes, right? If you want a product that will make you feel comfortable, uh, that will give you satisfaction, just get on Amazon, order it, it'll be here tomorrow, or maybe later today if you're early enough, right? But in a week or two, 
there's going to be a newer thing. Someone else is going to have a better thing. And ultimately, that's not going to satisfy. Our world will help you give up everything else so you can give your whole life to your career and make sure you know what your purpose is, but, but you will ultimately be dissatisfied if that is on, the only thing that your life is wound up in. Um, the world's going to give us opportunities to try to be satisfied, but I just don't think what the world offers works very well. And if you think about it, we live in the wealthiest, healthiest, most technologically advanced society that the world has ever seen. And there's very high rates of anxiety and depression, of mental illness, and generally dissatisfaction. In the prophet Isaiah, God speaks to his people. Um, He's calling them out. And he does that by asking them a question. And I wonder if we don't need God to ask us that same question today. In In our world of instant gratification... Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Why do we do that so much? Well, I think, I think this is where we need to hear the words of this beatitude so much because we need to know not just how to get a quick fix for our hungers, but how to find what deeply satisfies us. You know, one of the things about these beatitudes for me is um, I could read these Beatitudes, and it, it actually takes me a while to wrap my head around what they mean and why they're useful for me. Something that I really need to kind of chew on, pun intended. We're talking about hunger. Um, and as I was meditating on this and chewing on this this week, here's a few things that, that really stood out to me. Um, the first thing that stood out to me is that it does not say, blessed are you when you have money in the bank and food in the pantry and everyone likes you. It doesn't say that, yet we live often like that is going to be the key. Like if we just fill up this bucket and this bucket and this bucket, and then I, maybe I can get my life satisfying to myself on its own. I think it actually points to us connecting with a deeper longing in our heart in order to be satisfied, not trying to cover that up with other things. And it, that longing is, is something here called hungering and thirsting for righteousness. Now, that's kind of a mouthful. And the word righteousness is such a loaded word. Throughout scripture, it has a variety of meanings. Um, And oftentimes, uh, and in this case, it actually has more than one meaning in the same sentence. And so I want to go through a little bit of what does it mean to hunger and thirst for righteousness? And the first thing that that your mind probably goes to this one first, so this is where we're going to start. Maybe righteousness is referring to moral uprightness like being a good and godly person. And so if I hunger and thirst for being a good and godly person, that's what this beatitude is calling me to. And that is certainly one of the senses of the word righteousness and how it's used in this, in this verse. Um, and Jesus is something that satisfies the person that is hungering and thirsting for being good and godly. In Jesus, we have forgiveness of our sins and the ability to be made right with God And we believe that the Holy Spirit's at work in us, and it can actually produce a righteous character as we let God be at work in our life, right? That's one of the great hopes of the Christian faith, that God can actually change us in this life. And so this beatitude is true in the sense of if we're hungering and thirsting to be good and godly people, Jesus can help us be satisfied in that. Okay, so that's good. 
That's not the only meaning of this beatitude, though. There's a few more I want to show you. Uh, One of them, from the Old Testament, whenever you talked about there being a righteous person, it was not just someone that was really good at following the rules. Uh, Jesus actually refers to that as someone who is self-righteous. But it's someone who is really wanting to be close to God. So one of the senses of righteousness in this phrase, it, it really means a yearning for God above anything else. When you're hungering and thirsting for God more than you're hungering and thirsting for anything. And we see some pictures of this in the scriptures, especially in the Psalms. We see some beautiful pictures of people that are hungering and thirsting for God. Psalm 63 is one of my favorites. The psalmist says, O God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. And the psalmist is basically saying, I I long to be close to God, just like when I'm found stuck in a desert. I long to have a cup of cold water. That's how much I need God in my life. The psalmist goes on to say that when he is in God's presence, my soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food. I think the Thomas Johnson translation says, even better than a Brazilian steakhouse. And my mouth will praise you with joyful lips. So we see here the picture of a person who is hungering and thirsting for righteousness in the sense that they are yearning for God above all else. That's a part of what it means to hunger and thirst for righteousness. Jesus, by the way, he satisfies that because in what Jesus does um, by coming close to us, he makes it so we can be close to God, right? He comes into our world wearing human flesh. He also removes the barrier of sin so that we're no, we're no longer separated from God. We can be close with God because of Jesus. So in that way, also, Jesus satisfies that desire. There's one more. There's one more sense. The word righteousness, it wasn't just used on its own. It was often referred to as God's righteousness. And in the Old Testament, what they were referring to when they talked about God's righteousness was this idea that God did not just leave the broken world to fend for itself and deal with sin and deal with brokenness, but God was going to be at work making things good again. God was going to redeem. God was going to save. And in the Old Testament, this idea that God would send a Messiah to come and make God's kingdom on earth again, which basically means he's going to come and make everything right. And so as far as hungering and thirsting for God's righteousness, what that means is hungering and thirsting for God to come and make things right. I think a lot of us can connect with this. How many times do we look and we see something broken in the world, or maybe we experience something broken in our lives, and we just have this longing for, man, I want things to be right. I want things to be good again. And God fills that desire. In Jesus, we can be satisfied with the ways that Jesus is at work making things good again, making a new creation in the now. But we also have the hope for a future where God is going to finally make everything right. And so Jesus is the one that ultimately satisfies. And it's when we realize our hunger for these things that then we can turn those desires to Jesus. In the episode from The Chosen this week, we are going to meet two new characters. One of them is Simon the Zealot. Now, Simon the Zealot is one of the 12. He's one of the, you know, the special 12 chosen. He's the one with the unfortunate um, name. that His name has his old religious uh, 
basically commitments in it. A zealot was someone, it was a Jewish religious group that decided the only way to kick out the Roman occupiers was to do it by force. And so they were, they were kind of a religious extremist militant group in some respects. The other character that we meet is a man that we find in John chapter 5. And in that chapter, he is paralyzed from the waist down. He cannot walk. He's laying at the pool of Bethesda. And he's trying to get to this spring of water in the middle. And he just can't get there. In The Chosen... There's a fabricated link between these two characters. It's not in the Bible, but it's in the series because they paint a colorful backstory. These two characters are brothers in, in the episode that we watched this week. And it's interesting to see the backstory and how that, you know, just like Pastor Stella talked about um, a midrash and how that's a useful tool for teaching something from Scripture with a different story, this story illustrates what it looks like to hunger and thirst. Uh, these brothers grow up together Simon's the younger brother, and he ends up helping his older brother, Jesse, who is paralyzed for a lot of their upbringing. But at some point, Simon sees Roman soldiers mistreating the Jewish people, and he gets angry. He wants things to be made right. And he ends up, because of that, joining the group called the Zealots to go and be a part of trying to kick out the occupiers by force. Jesse, on the other hand, is left to fend for himself at that point. And so he ends up at this pool of Bethesda, which was really a pagan cult that they believed a healing God that was not Yahweh, the one true God of Israel, but a different God was stirring up the waters and whoever gets to the spring first gets to be healed. And he's there for like 25 years. And after a while, he just becomes hopeless. In the scene I'm going to show you right now, uh, Simon is on a mission to go assassinate a high-profile Roman official in Jerusalem. And right before he goes to that mission, he decides to pay his brother a visit for the first time in 25 years. I can't believe it. You are worse than you used to be. My legs are the same as when you left. I'm not talking about your legs. I'm talking about you. This godforsaken place has turned my strong brother into someone hopeless. And what should I hope in, after all these years? You and your murderous kind. Jesse, it's killed me to watch you suffer in your life. And I am sorry. I truly am. But that's not the only kind of pain. And you're not the only one who feels it. But you know what? I am at least doing something about mine. And I'm not sitting in a bed waiting to die. Have you said all you need to say? I have to be in the upper city. Ah, that's nearby. That's still a mile away. Might as well be a thousand miles to me. Whoever it is, don't do it. It's not worth it. If they catch you, they'll kill you. I am not afraid of death. I just wanted to say goodbye because I didn't do it right the first time. I do love you. And I love God. Goodbye, Jesse. By the time you read this, 
I will be halfway to the mountains to join the zealots of the fourth philosophy in the spirit of our great King David, who sang, zeal for your house has consumed me. I note. I was a better writer then. And from Zephaniah, behold, at that time, I will deal with all your oppressors. I will save the lame and gather the outcast. I will change their shame into praise and renown in all the earth. Jesse, when you stand on two feet, I will know the Messiah has come. I will fight for the freedom of Zion in order to see that day. I stand by it. Farewell, Jesse. So you can see in this encounter that both brothers are driven by a deep hunger. Simon has a longing to have his people and his land be free of the occupiers. But he's pursuing this uh, hunger for a good thing. He's pursuing it in a bad way. He's resorting to violence. Jesse, on the other hand, wants to have the use of his legs back. And who could blame him? But instead of asking God for help, he's turned to these other gods. And, and ultimately, really, his struggle is also that he has become hopeless. He doesn't know what he's hungering for anymore. What's, what's interesting is how these brothers, as brothers sometimes do, they are angry at each other. They're, they're pointing at each other saying, look at how wrong you are when both of them are falling short of what God's called them to. The scripture that was read, that, that was on the note Simon gave Jesse, is from Zephaniah 3.19. And it's such an interesting scripture. It's a prophecy about what's going to happen when God comes to make all things right. And it says this, Behold, at that time I will deal with all your oppressors, and I will save the lame and gather the outcast, and I will change their shame into praise and renown in all the earth. The good news of what God is going to do and God's righteousness coming into the world through the Messiah, Jesus, is that it's, it's going to fill the longings of both Simon, who wants the oppressors out, and of Jesse, who is lame and wants to be healed. And what a beautiful picture. And I can't help but wonder if maybe part of the problem between these brothers is they're each holding on to a part of God's hope for the world, but not the whole thing. It reminds me a little bit of our partisan politics and our, how we point past each other because we're only really looking at a half of what's wrong and what needs to be fixed and addressed. Ultimately, the reason neither is finding satisfaction is they're not finding it in God. Simon's trying by his own might to overthrow the Romans, and Jesse has given up. This all changes when Jesus goes into the pool of Bethesda and encounters Jesse. Shalom. Me? Yes. Shalom. I have a question for you. For me. 
I don't have many answers, but I'm listening. Do you want to be healed? Who are you? We'll get to that later. But my question remains. Will you take me to the water? Look, I'm having a really bad day. You've been having a bad day for a long time. So? Sir, I have no one to help me into the water when it's stirred up. And when I do get close, the others step down in front of me. And so... Look at me. Look at me. That's not what I asked. I'm not asking you about who's helping you, or who's not helping, or who's getting in your way. I'm asking about you. <laughs> I've tried. For a long time, I know. And you don't want false hope again, I understand. But this pool, it has nothing for you. It means nothing. And you know it. But you're still here. Why? I don't know. You don't need this pool. You only need So, do you want to be healed? So let's go. Get up, pick up your mat, and walk. The story of that in scripture in John chapter 5. It's a beautiful story. I suggest you go read it. But what a beautiful thing. Um, what Jesus does is first he helps Jesse get in touch with his deep longings. And then as Jesse acknowledges the hunger he has, the deep desire he has to be healed, Jesus then goes and he satisfies that desire. Jesse is not only satisfied because he's healed, he's satisfied because he has met Jesus the one who gives him hope. 
He leaves from there, and he takes his mat, and he walks to the upper city in pursuit of his brother Simon, wanting so badly to stop his brother before he does something unforgivable. And Simon, right before he's about to follow through on this assassination plot, he looks over, and he sees his brother Jesse carrying the mat, walking on his two legs. And you remember the thing that he said to him in the first clip was, when I see you walking on two legs, that's when I will know the Messiah has come. In this story, Simon sees how Jesse has been satisfied by Jesus, and it changes everything for Simon too. Simon comes to want to follow Jesus also. The study guide for uh, this this series that, that we're using for some material, it said it so well. I want to just read this to you real quick. It said, Simon hungered for good things, for personal righteousness and for God's people to be restored in their own land with the Messiah as their king. But then he met Jesus, who was the answer to all those things, which is why Simon the Zealot became Simon the Satisfied, having his desires and pursuits reordered and transformed by the one he was following. And the result was a quieting contentment found nowhere else on earth, not in a political party, not in money, not in relationships, not in accomplishments or accolades or insta-likes, not in good health or long life, only in Jesus. And I love how we see that when you bring your longings to Jesus, sometimes Jesus is going to satisfy those longings, satisfy that hunger. Sometimes Jesus is going to redirect that and reorient it to be fully satisfied in him. The question Jesus asked Jesse at the pool of Bethesda was this, do you want to be healed? And I wonder today, we might need to start with a similar question. Do you want to be satisfied? Do you want to get off the treadmill of chasing thing after thing after thing and never really fully being satisfied with this world? And if you do, I think we can start like Jesse with acknowledging what are we really hungry for? What do we really want? What's the deep longing that drives your life? Is it for comfort or safety or security? Is it for belonging and purpose or maybe justice? What is it, that deep longing, that undergirds most of your actions even when you're not thinking about it? Once you identify that, it's helpful to look at how do I try to feed that hunger in ways that are not satisfying? So that we can then ask the most important question is will you bring this hunger to Jesus so that he can satisfy you more than anything else? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you do not tell us to hide our hunger and our longings. You don't tell us just to put them away. Jesus, you invite us to bring our deep longings and our deep desires and our deepest hungers to you. And you promise that you are enough to satisfy. God, I pray that you would help all of us on this journey, that not just one time, but each day we could wake up and give you our longings and look to you for the satisfaction that you bring, Lord. Come and bring this into our lives. Help us to grow, to depend on you more than anything else. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.